1: Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bo's No Show, with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Boltevich, and now, here's Jay. Afternoon, and
0: it is a drop-dead Gorgeous day here in the Pacific Northwest. I can't believe how nice it is. They were predicting scattered showers and it's blue sky with those puffy clouds. You know, if you ever watch the Simpsons, you know, at the beginning of the show when they have the Simpsons up in the sky and there's like these clouds back off into the distance. We have a Simpsons sky today. Just such a beautiful day in the Pacific Northwest. You're listening to the Bose Nose Show, and I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay bozovich And Just like every day, we are a free for all where if you wanna change the topic we're talking about, just call us here at 646-721-9887 and press one and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you wanna get in on the conversation. And I forgot to mention, we are coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon and uh like i said it's another beautiful day here in the pacific northwest but it's one of those days where i'm not getting to enjoy it very much because my day started awful early i i got up this morning and went out to junction city for the tri-county chamber monthly breakfast meeting starting at 7 a.m this morning and with the time change it was still pretty dark and uh from there i had to run to the county for a two-hour work session on initiatives and referrals and from there I had to run my way out to Veneta for the Veneta the Firm Ridge Chamber of Commerce quarterly lunch meeting and from there I had to kind of run home and take care of some other business catch up on some of my email that built up during all those meetings make a few phone calls and now I'm doing the radio show as soon as the radio show is done I got to feed the poodles feed the jay run out the door and show up at the airport for an open house on their new master plan they're developing out there i have to go from the airport out to uh, springfield for candidate interviews from one of the local labor unions and i'll probably get finished sometime after nine o'clock tonight so makes for those long days uh 14 15 hour days that commissioners sometimes have When you start out with breakfast meetings and end up with evening meetings uh, and everything in between. So I'm not getting to enjoy the weather too much except for going to and from my car. So I hope you're getting a chance to enjoy it uh, here in uh, beautiful Lane County. But we talk about just about everything on the Bo's Nose Show, but because I was at two different chamber meetings and one of the topics that came up in yesterday's board meeting had to deal with jobs. So I've kind of got jobs on the brain, so I'm going to probably talk about jobs for a good portion of the Bo's Nose Show today. And if you don't want to talk about jobs, you can just call in at 646-721-9887. Again, 646-721-9887. And we'll talk about what you want to talk about on the Bo's Nose Show, but I'm probably going to go on about jobs a little bit today because I'm kind of excited in some ways. And I start going to chambers, you know, chambers are always Nice, positive meetings to go to, a bunch of local businessmen, uh, local owners a lot of times, or it might even be a franchise, but it's the local uh, franchise owner or a, a local manager of that franchise. It's always great because it's like people that live and work in the community and hire people and, and just tend to be positive meetings anyway. But it's great to kind of just talk about economic development, and particularly the Firmage Chamber today was, specifically about economic development efforts. There was somebody there from Business Oregon, Sarah Means from our uh, Community and Economic Development Department at Lane County was there and there were a couple of folks from the city of Anita there talk about their efforts and, and kind of what's interesting is how those all meld together and even involve a lot of different partners like there was a particular effort in Venita area to bring some more high-speed data fiber network out to Venita, and it involves actually the Lane Electric Co-op as part of that partnership to put that together, and Business Oregon and Lane County Economic Development, City of Venita, and Lane Electric Co-op all working together to to get what they call the middle mile done, which is going to run some fiber from the BPA substation on KR Nielsen Road, down near Eugene, out to the city of Benita along Lane Electric co-op poles, uh, and, and it'll finish up uh, a redundant loop to some other fiber that comes into this area. And because of that, FCR, used to be called First Call Resolution, uh, that has a uh, center out here, Benita, is going to hire another 30 to 50 people If they get that redundant fiber uh, in place because they'll be able to sign a contract with a client that has to have um, that redundancy and backup on the the data network so they're never they kind of they can't they're not the kind of call center that can ever be down so that that's one of the the requirements of their contracts is to have redundancy in the high speed data network that serves the call center and right now um scr only has a single uh, high speed fiber link out to their site if they get this redundant loop in from another direction they'll have, they'll be able to meet those redundancy requirements in the contracts and hire more people they're already hiring a lot of people out there they're close to 300 staff at that first call resolution so it'll push them past 300 probably uh, pretty amazing success story which in itself was a whole effort of cooperation of of multiple agencies to entice that company to open that business at a time when not not a lot of businesses were being opened in Lane County. And it was an opportunity to just start the critical mass. Because FCR is there, now all the little restaurants and the shopping centers around that are a lot more profitable because now there's this employee that has to go find lunch or dinner, depending on what shift, even breakfast. What shift these folks are working in the call center, it really adds a lot to sure. the all the service industries yeah. around. There. They get from the gas station to the bank yeah. that be getting the paychecks deposited at it, to uh, even you know the local grocery store that folks are running into on their way home. You know, grabbing something that you know the wife you know called them during their shift or texted them and said, "Don't forget to bring home a dozen eggs." You know, so. <laughs> It, there's a lot that happens there, but that effort to get FCR there again was this joint effort: Lane County, Business Oregon, and the City of Venita all working together. And we actually even had ODOT participating in that effort at that time because we needed to get ODOT to fast-track permits to actually build the fiber into that shopping center where FCR is located. So it was, you know, just an incredible joint effort. So and a lot of the jobs initiatives around here. You can't point to one agency that's was the one that made that got that business to expand or got that business to stay here, got that business started or got that business to relocate to Lane County. It's almost always a team effort and almost always a collaboration of, of agencies and even private entities that work together. Often chambers of commerce is, are involved in that effort. When I look at um, some of the other efforts that have happened around the county, and particularly when you think about the airport, you know, I'm going to be there tonight. The addition of extra routes like the San Jose route and a few others that we've we've added at the airport that have have helped us get to that million passenger per year um, limit that changes the designation of the airport and all, all sorts of interesting things happen at that point. That has been a joint effort. You know, some of the addition of those routes actually took commitments from local businesses that they're going to buy a certain number of tickets during a year. And, you know, Travel Lane promoting those routes, the Eugene Chamber stepping in and getting businesses to make those commitments. And, you know, even the University of Oregon utilizing those, those routes, et cetera. So it's just um, there's all the time when you think of economic development and trying to bring jobs or keep jobs here in Lane County. It's almost always these team efforts, which is something that gets me kind of revved up because that's one of the things that that we have to do as local government now, because we are limited. We don't have unending resources. We can't hack our way into prosperity and, and have all the resources we want to do things by ourselves. We have to find creative ways to work together as multiple local governments and agencies and even with the private sector to try and do some of these things that are going to add jobs to our community and, and add value and make make it a more vibrant community and that's, that's really mm-hmm. a, an exciting thing for me when we were able to do these things and and one of the things that you know happened last week i got to attend an event on friday and and my dog Ollie got to attend it with me. If you follow Facebook, you've seen the pictures of Ollie and me speaking at the market district expansion announcement, but where uh, Brian Oby and his, his son, Casey. O- Toby Barrett um, have announced that they are actually going to step up the break ground before the end of the year on the expansion of what they call the market district. What the OBs have been able to do is to actually buy some of the surrounding lots around the Lane County lot that they they put a 99 year lease in. Okay. They are actually going to, to redo some of the facades of some of the buildings and all that, and this new development. It's all going to tie together with the architecture and and design concepts of the Fifth Street Market and some of the surrounding buildings to where it's going to look like a big uh area that was developed with a common theme and it's going to be really vibrant too because what one of the things it has in it is this large apartment building that's going to have people living in downtown and that's a real key thing for the whole thing is bringing people into downtown and adding more housing to the area we've talked about housing on the show before and how important adding housing is But that really the the addition of those living spaces right in downtown next to a three-story uh retail center where they're going to have this this great local shops similar to the fifth street market it's going to kind of be a reflection of that and then there's going to be another boutique hotel called the gordon on the site about 60 rooms similar to the the fifth so you're going to have a couple more hotels there and then across the street on on the other portion of Lane County property that's involved in this 99 year lease, there's going to be a five story building where the upper four floors are going to be workforce housing developed by the local housing authority, Homes for Good. And the lower floor is going to be retail that's going to be managed by the OB folks. And so it kind of extends that all the way down um, 6th Avenue as you think about it from High Street all the way past Oak, to the other side of Oak Street there, that corner of Oak and Sixth. So it's gonna be this, this several blocks of this development. And it's gonna be really exciting because they're gonna put a, roof, a glass roof between the apartment building and the retail building. So there's, it's gonna create this roof uh, mall area where they're gonna have the seating outside so you think about some of the folks that like to bring their dogs uh, with them to get a cup of coffee or eat lunch you know outdoor seating is really nice and I, i've done that before o- over there at the uh, field brewery i've sat outside with my dogs and had had a meal there but that's fine when it's nice out sunny and, and, and a little bit warmer but this glaston area is going to give them an opportunity to do uh, Patio type heaters and be out of the rain to where they're going to be able to extend that season quite a bit where you're going to be able to actually kind of be dining outdoors or or having a cup of coffee or sitting there uh, using wifi and 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 just on outside instead of inside where I might be able to enjoy a beautiful day like this. I probably should have dragged my computer outside today twenty twenty hindsight but <laughs> yeah it's just an amazing little development that that obi's doing and he's doing it because lane county made the space available and is working in partnership with them and homes for good so we've already got private sector county government and the housing authority involved and at the same time there's probably going to be some involvement with the city of eugene through possibly their their Multiple unit property tax stands for exemption. Yeah, multiple unit property tax exemption, which will help finance, you know, in the finances of the apartment building. But it's a sixty million dollar investment the owners are making on on their their portion of the block. Not to mention the what the investment of Homes for Good will be across the street. In addition they're going to be doing quite a bit of investment and upgrades to the buildings there across the way and it's going to really make this neat district down there for for stores and restaurants and shops coffee shops and all that stuff and people actually living there and that's just one part of what's going on in downtown because along with that there's some other things happening that are also collaborations and cooperations public private you've got the city of eugene that's redeveloping the eweb waterfront site with their partners um and i can't remember the name of the company something rather damewood um but that that's going to be redeveloped so there's going to be this waterfront project going on the eweb site There's going to you know you walk across the uh the railroad tracks and you get into the district market there and then if you kind of think about where um, we've got our parking garage now that's kind of sits you know it's going to now be across the street from the market district there's some potential for us to redevelop that parking garage and possibly include an expansion of the convention center that's needed in order to make keep our convention center competitive regionally and nationally, needs to have another grand ballroom that's about twice as big as, as the existing grand ballroom because we're outgrowing that site. And possibly maybe some uh, hotel space above that might be another public-private pro- partnership opportunity there on that site. And then as you go a little bit further to the south there, you get to where there may be a new courthouse and a new city hall and a permanent farmers market site, and so you think about all these things happening in downtown Eugene and just the the critical mass that starts to form. Let alone the night camp science campus that that they broke ground for uh, last week or the week was that two weeks ago they broke ground on the night science campus there, and that that's going to bring hundreds of jobs again you think about eugene that's on the waterfront a little bit to the east you come down franklin boulevard and you hit the eweb waterfront property that's going to redevelop into into housing shops, hotels etc and then you come across the railroad tracks and you get into the fifth street market district and all what brian obie and homes for good are doing there and then we have the the possibility of a convention center and hotel expansion going on and then you come a little bit further up and we've got you know a new court facility and we have a permanent downtown um, farmers market location it's going to make for quite a change in Eugene a really vibrant downtown and a really exciting downtown and that again is involving all sorts of people from Travel Lane city of Eugene University of Oregon um, private developers, the Chamber of Commerce, you know, a bunch of partners out there. And and it's just exciting, especially when Brian Obi talks about having his development done by 2021 for the World Games. And I don't know where the schedule on some of the other uh, developments might be, but it'd be, you know, just think about how that will look for the world as they come in here to go to the 2021 worlds, you know? When I first came to Eugene in nineteen ninety-two for a bicycle race, one of the places I stopped was the Fifth Street Market, where my wife found Mindy's Needlepoint. And it was one of the things that sold my wife on moving to Oregon was, hey, there's needlepoint stores here too. <laughs> but no, it wasn't just that. It was, you know, we, we uh enjoyed enjoyed Mindy's, but it was also uh, Steelhead Brewery. We had never had microbrew. In 1992, it wasn't a nationwide craze. It was really a Oregon thing. And it was new. And the the idea of going someplace and they handed you what they called a board of all these beer samples and little tiny glasses, we had never seen or heard of anything like that. And we had never tasted beer like that. Of course, it was my immediate desire then to constantly drink microbrew instead of Budweiser. Um, but it, but yeah, that was just you know between that the great coffee uh the art scene here and everything it was really easy for us to to look at this area and say wow this is a, a, a vibrant place that we would like to live that same thing could be even more magnified by all these developments when the 2021 worlds come here and people see what a vibrant area this is not maybe necessary to come to live here but come back and visit or stay longer and, and really help our economy out as we we look to uh, expand our tourism economy in Lane County, which is a really important piece of our 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 uh, econ- economy here. So I've been droning on a little bit about jobs and the economy and developments and exciting collaborations and partners and all sorts of stuff. I want to hear from you though, because that may not be what's on your mind. You may want to talk to me about school walkouts or something else. so, Give me a call here at Bo's No Show six four six seven two one nine eight eight seven. Just press one, and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation, and hopefully she'll be able to help you out because uh, she is had 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 a little oral surgery the other day, and, and I know she's suffering to some degree, but. Uh, I, I she managed to have a conversation with me before the show so hopefully she'll be able to, to take your call and get you in the queue again 646-721-9887. just press one so i want to talk a little bit um, about initiatives just because we had a two-hour work session today and if anyone got a chance to watch the work session we didn't really finish our conversation which was unfortunate but it's one of those things when we do Wednesday morning work sessions. The city of Eugene has work sessions at noon, and they need to get in the room early. So we've got a hard deadline. We have to stop at 11 o'clock. We just can't go on. So the unfortunate thing was we didn't quite finish our conversation, make it complete, but we did finish the conversation about initiative process, which was the first half of the work session, and, and particularly citizen initiative process. And you know, I've talked about this briefly on the Bozno show before. There's a difference between a citizen initiative process, which is citizens making law, and the board referring something to the voters to make law. And, and that's really a, a big distinction because in the citizen initiative process, whether it's to amend our charter, and likewise, you can do the same thing to amend the uh, Oregon Constitution or willing to just pass a statute or a code uh, amendment or an addition to our code, which is an ordinance uh, in our case, that citizen initiative process is something that the board is not involved in. And that was made really clear this morning. And those of you that are out there that have heard that somehow or another the Lane County Board of Commissioners held up a couple of initiatives that were trying to get on the ballot or done something to hold them back or took some action or failed to take action we clarified that this morning we had an open discussion that no one could disagree with that there was no action that this is the board of commissioners took or no action that we failed to take that either interfered with or prevented the aerial spray ban or the community rights initiative petitions to qualify and get on the ballot for May. We have not been involved in that process because the process for initiatives is citizen making law. There is no role for the Lane County Board of Commissioners. Now there is a role for the Lane County Clerk by our charter and also by Oregon statute to run the elections, which they have to do certain things. Like at the beginning of the process, they have to check to make sure that the initiative is actually a single subject. And because of some lawsuits and judge determinations, after the, the signatures were determined to be valid, there was also a review for what they call separate vote to make sure that it didn't combine several different decisions into one vote and that's and that was what uh, was recently ruled on by Judge Rasmussen um, uh, last week that basically said it doesn't qualify for the ballot at no point were the commissioners involved in that process at no point are we even able to be involved in so we were even to start directing the, the clerk in that process we'd be interfering with a statutorily prescribed process and we'd be making ourselves liable to get sued and and have all sorts of uh, ethics complaints and other violations charged against us so really clear this morning the conversation we did finish was about the initiative citizen-led initiative process and there is no role for the board of commissioners and there's nothing that commissioners have done or failed to do that interfered with the process of the chief petitioners for either the uh, aerial spray band initiative or the community rights initiative so if you've heard from somebody out there that some that we did something to interfere with that process and have been interfering with citizens voters rights or something like that you have been hearing false statements so that is that is the clearest and easiest thing i can tell you that came out of this morning's meeting when we got into the referral process it got a lot more complex and that's because the referral process is the commissioners taking their discretionary authority to make a law and place it on the ballot for the citizens to vote on that making law which leads to actual um liability to the la- to Lane County so if we were actually to refer something to the ballot that was knowingly illegal we could actually create you know, multi-million dollar lawsuit liability against County. We we at least uncovered that in the the conversation, but we didn't get far enough to really get to a final conclusion about the referral process relative to uh, if the commissioners wanted to refer either those two um, citizen-led initiatives, the aerial spray ban or the community rights initiative to the ballot. Either as a charter actually, we term it as a charter amendment. It would still have to go through the separate vote and would have failed. So that's kind of off the table as a charter amendment. The question was, could we do it as an ordinance, which wouldn't have to meet the separate vote requirement? But then we get into the issue of are we are we creating a liability for Lane County and thus the taxpayers of Lane County uh, to pay large legal settlement uh, if we try and refer something to the ballot that's, that we know violates state law or federal law or is outside of our powers to actually legislate because one of the things under our Home Rule Charter through the Oregon Constitution Article 6 Section 10 is we really only have authority over things we have jurisdiction on and there's several things that the legislature has specifically said counties don't have jurisdiction on. One of them, which is farm practices, including pesticide and herbicide application rules. So you know th- there's a definitive prohibition against us having laws relative to that. So us referring a ballot measure that that, that it, it has some kind of ruling on that flies in the face of state preemption on that and would actually create a liability for the county. For uh, having done so and maybe costing people money running campaigns or having to go through the legal process to get it invalidated and then whatever legal money they spent might be, uh, the county might be on the hook for. And you get some of these high-powered firms out of Portland or Seattle making those arguments and uh, you're talking a lot of dollars. So... You know, we didn't get down to whether we were actually gonna do anything relative to those things today because we ran out of time, but it definitely there was, uh, we uncovered the fact that there is liability involved in taking those actions. So covered a lot of ground here in the first half hour of the Bo's Nose Show. We've covered jobs and, 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 now, and redevelopment initiatives and referrals, talked briefly about the airport. I might wanna get back to that a bit, and then I might want to talk a little bit about school walkouts because I've got um, a, a different direction I want to talk about that. It, not necessarily, you know, why the kids are walking out and, and any solutions to school violence, et cetera. It's about, you know, the whole idea of civil disobedience and kids, and we'll we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Maybe I want to talk about the airport for a minute. Cause it's kind of one of those gems that I don't think people quite understand how fortunate we are here in Lane County to have the Eugene Airport. And it is a, a municipal airport owned by the city of Eugene, but it functions as a regional airport. We have people coming to that airport uh, from all over um, Lane County, Lynn County, Benton County, Douglas County. They even come over from Bend and, and up from Clackamas, you know, because sometimes it's just nearly impossible you would get from Medford or uh, Klamath Falls into Eugene and then change a flight or from there into San Francisco. Uh, such limitations. The airport just a great asset to have because when it comes to economic development and trying to get firms to locate here or stay in this area, to, you know, to keep a firm like Johnson Crushers that designs and constructs these this rock-crushing equipment that's sold internationally. I mean, they sell to China, they sell to Europe, they sell to Africa, and they could be located anywhere. But they're staying here, you know, they started here and staying here in Eugene. But one of the things that, that keeps a company like that here is their ability to get their sales crews and their um, their maintenance and setup crews over to some other country and and be there when the when the equipment's delivered help us set it up and you know run through all the startup procedures and warranty issues and whatever else and maintenance that ability to fly in and out of Eugene helps keep a company a local high paying family wage job company like Johnson Crushers in this area and that's you know really mm-hmm. That airport really helps us with that. So it's one of the reasons why I'm going to take the time to go to the open house tonight, to learn more about what the future plans are for the airport. You know, What's kind of interesting is I've been looking at that airport master plan for a long time because one of the first things I got involved in when I was at uh, Eugene Water Electric Board was expanding the water mains out to the airport so they could get a higher level of fire flow out there because they're going to add those helicopter hangars on the on the north end of the uh, and they needed to have 3500 gallons per minute firefighting capability which they didn't have at that point so we had to design a new water main out to the airport uh, that was going to connect in from the north and loop their system in and lo and behold the new water main we were going to cut out Aubrey Lane uh, out there to Green Hill before they relocated Green Hill and all that. This was before the second runway. We had to design that based on the master plan and the second runway and get it deep enough and out of the way of the future runway. So I've, I've been seeing airport master plans since the 90s and watching the, the, the growth of that airport uh, in one way or another. And it's pretty amazing, you know, the second runway the expansions in the terminals they've gone along. Uh, you know, we all remember when when they started having to do the bag uh, checking bags for explosives and all that stuff. How we used to have to walk our bags across the terminal and into the uh, area where they would actually take them through the uh, the bomb sniffing equipment and all that stuff and now you don't have to do that because they expanded the baggage handling areas behind the counters and now all that stuff's behind the counters so you don't have to walk your bag across the the uh, airport terminal to another area you know it was just it was really awkward and now they've expanded some of the the seating areas for the b terminals and they've um for the uh 30 check ins So now they can actually have a fast lane for the TSA pre-check. They've actually expanded the luggage pickup area. So there's actually now more than one luggage belt at the airport. But you know what's next? What are they thinking of next? You know they're they're now talking about direct flights from San Diego into the airport, which is nice because my wife um, just flew back from San Diego yesterday and because President Trump flew into San Diego yesterday morning. Her flight got held up because they shut down the runways a half hour before and a half hour after the Air Force One lands. And she had to run through San Francisco Airport to make her connection. Now, if she'd have been on a direct flight, that wouldn't have been an issue. But she was really lucky. She made her flight, her baggage made her flight. And she got here when she was supposed to get here. But at first, when they announced the delay, they actually ended up not delaying the flight as long as they thought they were going to. Uh, they got off the, the ground sooner. That's why she made her connection. But when they first announced the delay, she was going to miss her connection. And you never know, the flights from San Francisco tend to get more crowded than later in the day, getting in Eugene because the flights from the East Coast start reaching San Francisco. Um, whether she would have even gotten in uh, yesterday at all. So, uh, a direct flight from San San Diego uh, helped bypass San Francisco, which uh, a lot of times is a problem airport. Uh, It's an airport that quite often has delays because they are so busy, they fly their flights in so close together, but if they get a little bit of rain or fog, they have to separate flights, and they lose about fifty percent of their capacity by the having to put the distance between the flights longer, and uh, it'll back flights up for hours there. And, and it's just, I, I'd be so happy to have more direct flights into Eugene. Mm-hmm. But what's next? You know, yeah. Yeah. What, Whoops. What, 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 uh, where do you want um, um, Eugene Airport folks to focus on the next nonstop flight? Think about that. Where do you where do you fly to regularly, or what would make it more convenient? Or what you know, what city that has good connections to other places you want to go would be a, a lot more convenient. You know, it's great we go now to Denver and Salt Lake because they have a lot of connections out of there. Now, you know, what's next? A direct flight into Chicago, so you can get all those various flights out of Chicago O'Hare. Um, you know, where would you want to go? So i'm kind of curious about that give me a call here 646-721-9887 again 646-721-987 just press one lets us know you want to get in on the conversation tell me where you want the airport to go you know it are you one of those folks that lives under the flight path is there anything you want to tell the airport about that you know that that's that that's always a concern or as they expand the number of flights and start using that alternate runway which they did for a while uh, while they were doing some repairs of the older the older runway uh there were some people that realized that that flying into that uh, other runway kind of changes the the jet noise a little bit some of those folks in north bethel and over in south junction city um, had a sudden realization that 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 although those two uh runways aren't that far apart it does change the flight pattern somewhat But, so that's kind of where I'll be at that airport open house tonight, looking at that master plan. But I wanna get in on the conversation of school walkouts because I think Robin's got a few thoughts about this too, but I wanna talk first about my thoughts. And that's one of the things this walkout is, is it's a, a protest by civil disobedience. And one of the things I'm concerned about was I was seeing reports as as these were being planned and all that, and I don't know. We'll find out more after they've been the kids have actually walked out. Where school districts, you know, some of them were saying up front, we're not going to give the kids detention, we're not going to mark them tardy or or that they missed a class. Uh, We're giving them the opportunity to participate, you know, without any ramifications, And and I and that kind of makes me upset, and and. It's not that they're getting why they're walking out or anything like that. It's the concept of that not having ramifications. The whole point of civil disobedience is to do something knowing it may have ramifications. If, there's, if you remove the ramifications, it's not an act of civil disobedience. And it's not a true protest and it's not meaningful really for the students to participate if they're not going to get a detention they're not going to get a tardy mark then they're not risking anything and they're not making a real statement if you know what So when gandhi walked up to the british and said he wanted to to get salt and then they you know were whipped with sticks for having done so and they continued in a line of of men continually walking up and getting whipped with sticks till the soldiers got too tired to whip them. You know, that act of, of requesting to make salt because the British were controlling the salt supplies as a means of power over the Indian citizens, that act of civil disobedience of asking to do so, knowing that there was a whipping coming was the form approach of, of nonviolent peaceful civil de- disobedience that meant something so these kids walking out of their classes knowing mm-hmm. there are no ramifications aren't really participating in a meaningful piece of protest and civil disobedience so i i commend the districts that are actually going to take some kind of you know it doesn't have to be harsh I don't think they need to be expelled or suspended over a, walk, a seventeen-minute walkout. But what they what they should at least get is marked absent for that time period or tardy, and maybe even um, a during lunch detention sen- sentence of some kind or, or a half hour after school detention, just so there's something that that those kids have at risk for taking that action and that, and to me, that's really we're not teaching the kids a good lesson if we don't have ramifications to some kind of form of civil civil disobedience protest. It's not a walkout if they're all excused to do it so that that's kind of my two cents on the school walkouts today. I think you know Robin you had you you were telling me you had some other concerns about it, which you know, kind of get into more of the the, the Content for the walkouts and why they're doing them. My my, my criticism is, it doesn't matter what why they're walking out, they should have to suffer consequences for participating in a walkout.
1: Well, and you know, I think one of the consequences for that would be to spend one class period with a history lesson. For example, yeah. these kids that don't know what uh, July Fourth is all about.
0: Yeah, you, you you've connected me with some of those videos about people being interviewed. Do you, you know, do you know what we're celebrating on the Fourth of July? Beer. <laughs> yeah, fireworks. People yeah. can't tell you. Or and even when the guy goes, on the Fourth of July is Independence Day. Do you know what we're, you know who we're declaring we declare our independence from, and people can't answer that question. And,
1: Exactly. And I I think that would make and my humble opinion, the if, if students knew more about like the history a little bit better, then they maybe would understand more about why they're walking out or, or what effect it would have. Instead of just I understand they're scared, they see this going on, they're acting emotionally, they want to be safe understandably, they're probably not seeing anything happening. But Again, you know, do they really understand the ramifications of, you know, tighter gun control laws? Uh, Just like the example of where more crimes happen in safe zones, uh, gun-free zones.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and that's kind of what kind of got lost a little bit in some of the reporting. The reporting today talked about that students walked out for tougher gun laws. And, And I don't think that's all they walked out for. I think what they want walked out for safer classrooms. To be honest, and and tougher gun laws may be one of the ways they get to safer classrooms. But they they the media seems to be focusing on just that one, mm-hmm. um, and and not not um, not others.
1: Well, when you listen to some of the uh, talk shows and people calling in, you know, saying more scanners at the door, uh, badges, and everything else. I mean compared to when I went to school, in fact looking at the like the junior high or middle school or whatever it's called now um chasta, you know where you didn't have to go through a gate to go from the from the class to the street you know now they're getting to be like like a prison in a sense and what type of environment does that create yeah,
0: that's definitely you know, it it's you know these classrooms are really getting um yeah, it does kind of create you know there's this you want to keep people safe but you don't want to create this 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 sort of uh prison sort of mentality and and this, you know there is i, I was listening to um another show this morning they were talking and, and, you know it was uh, our, our good buddies on the wake-up call talking about how they really have gone too far sometimes with and these it's, uh, protecting kids with, you know, getting rid of dangerous playground equipment and all that stuff. They're talking about how scraping your knee. Teaches a kid a lesson to be more careful the next time uh, the scraped knee is part of what reinforces that lesson and how we just we want to make. You know, playgrounds so kids don't get scraped knees. We want to make schools so absolutely safe. You know how did people you know, learn some lessons? But also, you know, this whole issue of of trying to make a building absolutely safe. I'm faced with that conversation now. And there was actually an editorial in the guard this weekend about it's really easy to add security. It's really difficult to remove it in the future. Exactly. Yeah, we we had we had a threat against the board of commissioners and some of our staff. So we added metal detectors and arms uh law enforcement officials to our board meeting after that threat and we and the threat hasn't gone away unfortunately but how long do we keep metal detectors and and armed uh law enforcement in the room Yeah. Know, when do we stop and, and and how does that make the public feel welcome at our meetings
1: well and there's an old saying too is that how much of your freedom are you willing to give up for the illusion of being safe
0: Because when it comes down to it, yeah, so now we maybe made our meeting a little safe. So they maybe refocus on other places commissioners show up. You know, because we, we, you know, people know in advance a lot of our schedules. We advertise all of our subcommittee meetings and meetings we have with other agencies where there might be a a quorum of commissioners present. We have to put it, you know, because public meetings will all require us to. So whoever might have threatened violence against the commissioners may show up at a different venue now, now that doesn't have the metal detectors and, and the armed guards, just because they know the commissioners are there. So it, does it really make us safe to do that? It makes that one meeting safe. But, you know, I, I have the, all, all the rest of the week I have to deal with.
1: It. <laughs> well, that, and, how many people want to come to the meetings if they have to go through airport security?
0: Yeah, and that's basically what's going on. And and, and so, yeah, that, that that whole idea of how much do you armor the building you know, and, and, and what kind of environment does that create for the students? Yeah, oh, you know, okay. when we talk about, you know, <laughs> our our elected officials having meetings <laughs> and having security, how much does that make the public feel welcome to to come there and have redress with their elected officials? So it's It's a tough question and and, and one that I don't think is easily solved. But uh, it is, you know, it really requires looking at the broad spectrum of things. I saw a great post today about uh, instead of walking out, walking up. Walk up to somebody and, and offer to be their friend. You know, walk up to somebody and Tell them that you'll be their partner. You know when they don't get somebody that jumps up and says, "I'll be your lab partner." You know those sort of things. You know walk, you know walk up to somebody and and uh,
1: just be nice to them. Is that PC?
0: Yeah. Well, I I didn't say hug them.
1: (laughs) Well, in this day and age, walking up to somebody, go, "Can I be your friend?" might uh, might be misinterpreted. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, you don't. Say, can I be your friend? But you can at least say, How you doing? You having a good day? You know? Yeah. What you do? Yeah. You know, start a conversation. You know, be a friend to somebody.
1: Well, I got a question for you.
0: Sure.
1: Getting kind back to the school shootings and whatnot. Um, you know, in gun gun free zones is have you ever gone through a gun safety course?
0: Me? Yeah. Yes.
1: Okay. Now I don't know how in depth I'm not, I'm, I'm gonna claim ignorance here because I've never gone through one. But doing the going through that course, do they just teach you gun safety or do they actually teach you uh, confrontation?
0: The, the course that's required to get a concealed handgun license or concealed weapon license, I think it's CWL in the state of Oregon, is the basic gun safety course and there's a, an NRA version of it. That basically just teaches you safe handling of weapons and, and basic gun safety. It does not talk about confrontation, doesn't talk about the law behind confrontation. The course I took was beyond that. Okay. It went through all the gun, it went through all the requirements that are required to get the, the, the coursework you need to sign up and and apply for CW, C, cwl um, but it also <laughs> included uh, some information on the law about you know when you're legally allowed to use your weapon what's brand machine uh you know various things like that and then it involved actual um range time. Where we went out with a couple of certified range instructors. One of them's a former Marine sniper. The other one's got NRA uh, master certification. That runs with the range I went to, and we went through uh, first all the basic safety stuff. Learned learned to you know handle our our handguns and everything else in proper uh, stances and how to draw and everything else about that and shooting for you know accuracy and everything, and then. I went, we went beyond that. We went to how do you um, deal with certain situations and they had simulations with uh, fake walls that you had to walk around and, and, and on silhouettes and some of them were good guys and some of them were bad guys and they would set the situations up without your know, knowing exactly what it was and uh, it was rough ground that you had to, to learn to not be looking down and, and walking correctly heel toe and all that. It was, so the, the safety course I went through was basically almost the same thing cops go through.
1: Yeah, and, and that's kind of where I'm going with that. I mean, I'm in, I'm in favor of concealed carry and even concealed carry in school by the teachers if they take it to that extent um, so they're trained not only in the safety but also how to handle a situation, um, you know, above and beyond just the basic uh, uh, concealed carry course. Yeah, yeah.
0: And, and You know, the biggest thing people need to to know is escape is the first option. Right. You know, if you can actually, you know, even if somebody comes in your house, you don't have automatically the right to shoot them in this state. You know, they you know, they, their entrance into your house is, you know, especially if you have the ability to leave by a back door. Right. If you could, if you could easily escape and instead you choose to confront and shoot, you may be in a heap of trouble in a court of law after the fact so,
1: think- you know,
0: understanding those things is important if you're you know if you're going to have a firearm in your possession the other thing is you can't shoot somebody over a property crime you know? it's, it's just you know, there is no threat of life in that like shooting somebody
1: yeah. you have to, As you know, can't do it.
0: yeah, yeah. Sorry about that.
1: You have an audience.
0: Yeah, yeah. My my neighbors are doing something with a lawnmower or rototiller next door, and um, it stalled. And then when they went and when it went to restart, it backfired, and that got the dogs going.
1: <laughs> Speaking of bangs.
0: <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, I knew what that one was, but it's just, <laughs> dogs didn't. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, that that's kind of what I'm what I'm thinking of though, because if they if they're trained above and beyond, because they're if everybody carries, there's going to be incidents. but if you're if you're trained and you are have continuous training, um especially if you're going to be carrying in a school, then and it's well known that the teachers, but you don't know which teachers have it, then in theory, it would make them less of a target because the chances are the target can shoot back or defend themselves, unless somebody's going in strictly for, you know, suicidal, but, you know, I'd, I'd look at the numbers and take it from there.
0: Yeah. yeah. It, it at least having that would be a deterrent, and at the same time, it would also, if there is an incident, possibly limit the number of, of uh, injuries and casualties. Because, exactly. you know, the response time of a teacher a couple classrooms away is
1: far greater
0: than the response time of the local police department i mean there is a long article in the register guard recently about the fact that the city of eugene isn't responding to all their calls for service because they don't have enough officers to cover it and that their response times have actually increased over the years uh, to be rather lengthy so you know and if you're expecting the police to be the solution most of these incidents are over within four to five minutes and that's long past the response time for EPD in, in in this area let alone if you're say Crow High School out in Crow and you're a good distance away from any officer
1: well in publicizing that is is just like um, I can't remember how many years ago it was when they were trying to get more money because of budget cuts, where the DA actually came out with his list of 100 things we will not respond to. Which, on the other hand, is telling the criminals, oh, hey, guess what we can do and nobody's going to bother us. Yeah. You know, good call, guys. But yeah, it's the same thing, just like that uh, military base where they weren't allowed to carry weapons and five sharpshooters were killed because they didn't have their guns on them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, folks that are definitely trained and, and able to respond in that sort of situation, too.
1: Exactly. That that That's the worst part about that. Well, I mean, compared to the death, but you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. But, uh,
0: and, and there's the whole other issue on there, this. Of, of this kid had been identified by multiple people as somebody that was a potential threat that had mental issues and slipped through the system so many times where. It, if he had just been connected to the right kind of, of mental health and treatment, this may never have happened, that Parkdale shooting.
1: Unless so, he was chewing a Parkdale. Park.
0: And there's multiple examples of that where there was, there was indications beforehand and, and just something that fell through the cracks in our mental health system.
1: Well, was it, was it that or was it just the fact that they didn't want to deal with him? Um,
0: you know, I, I don't want to speculate because I don't have all the information, but I know that he was clearly identified in multiple occasions uh, as, as ha- you know, having either conflicts with law enforcement or being reported to law enforcement and various agencies. And it seemed like there was so many opportunities to refer this this troubled individual to mental health professionals whether it was uh, referred voluntarily when he was a little bit younger, or as he got older and became a more specific threat, whether that had to be a court-ordered referral and and non-voluntary, either way, it seemed like there were multiple opportunities missed to to intervene with that particular individual. And then the question is, is, how did that individual get to that state of mental health in the first place, which leads to the whole question of that, um, walking up instead of walking out, uh, you know, not letting folks become isolated, not bullying. We uh, you know and doing all the things that drive a person into that isolation and that, you know, where they, they lose that that connection to humanity, where they, they can take, carry on an action like that. Yeah,
1: he could have been uh, really abused as a child and it just festered.
0: Yeah, and I don't think it was so much an abuse case as it was a peer um, issue with this particular kid.
1: Yeah. Hey, Jay, in the last uh, 30 seconds of the show, um, if it's okay, I'd like to throw out there, if people have an opinion on uh, how they feel about concealed carry in schools, are a solution to post it on our Facebook page.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well... We'll be, you know, Facebook page is always a great place to talk to us. And of course you can also email us at talk at krbnradio.net. And don't forget to like us on Facebook. So I wanna thank everybody for listening to Bo's Nose Show this week. I think next week, maybe one of those shows where I'm gonna have to rearrange the time because I think we've got a couple conflicting uh, commissioners events, but I, I will double check to make sure And uh, let you guys know well ahead of time if we have to shift the show. But until next week, we'll be talking to you again live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. Thank you for listening to Bo's Nose Show. Have a great week.
1: okay we're clear i don't know i don't know if the music started up or not i couldn't hear it
0: i couldn't hear it either i just i I started clicking in the episode (laughs) (laughs)